Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in to Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket comes. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Strick and Roll. I'm your host, Shwinifu, and this is episode 51. I am joined, as always, or not as always, but I have, I'm joined not by a first-time guest, uh, but it is a first time in a while. You know him as at, what, what is it now? Is it at DeMar DeRozan, the admirer? Uh, but it's at JBB Hoops. Uh, his oh. name is James Boo. Uh, James, how are you doing? Uh, how how is everything uh, down under in Australia? Yeah, the kangaroos and emus are all healthy, man. So you know <laughs> we're we're doing well. No, um, you you make better usernames than me because uh, it's Demarder is a D appreciator or something. But I think the admirer works better. But yeah. anyway, yeah. So uh, not been going well, man. Uh, kind of rebranded a little bit to. Like at JBB Hoops, I'm gonna try keep it that way for a bit because, uh, as you probably noticed, you know, I was trying to make the YouTube thing, um, and like, yeah, did a video on that, but other than that, yeah, um, but yeah, no, been good, man. So, uh, it's Christmas it's summer there, right? For you right now, summer over, yeah, summer over here, it's not too hot as well, so, um, yeah, it's good. Well, good, good to hear, uh. I am doing fine. Thank you for asking. Uh, but, <laughs> but before we get started, yeah, you, you, you don't get me on if you want perfect like social etiquette, man. I'm just saying. But yeah, anyway, how are you, Shrin? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Uh, before we get started, I just to make a few announcements. The first one that Strickland has Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strickland on Instagram. Posting all kinds of new content there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are not done so already, please hit like, subscribe to the channel, and leave us a comment. That would be a huge help to us. Strickland also has merchandise that is available on our website at www.thestrick.land. There's a link that'll take you to the merchandise store. You can find all kinds of cool stuff on there. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, water bottles, you name it, we've got it. Even though some of the uh, the merch available may be dated now after the OG and Obi trade. Uh, and now, the Strickland also has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There's a six-star tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, the podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland's newest podcast, Takes from Obvious Bozos, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, along with Zach Blatter. You also get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strick and Roll, this pod right here that I host where I rant and rave about the next few more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles written by Matt Miranda, one of the best in the business. And now you also get access to Strictly NFL, our newest podcast that is about Yes, you guessed it, the NFL that is hosted by Constantine Metricos and Jeffrey Rasmussen. There are further tiers. is a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those go with a variety of additional benefits, like at least pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not. None of this would be possible without you, and none of this would be possible without Bet Online. All the major sports are in action this week, with the college football playoffs ready to kick off. Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info, including news for pro football, the NBA, upcoming fights, and NHL games this season. Head to the website today to get into the action and see all the updated odds for the week. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, 
to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Um, so, uh, yes, the Knicks did make a significant trade. They made an OG and OB trade. Um, and uh, obviously, that's worked out. Honestly, it's worked out great for them. It's worked out great for OG and OB. It's worked out great for the Raptors so far. It's worked out great for Quickly and RJ Barrett. Uh, I'm still a little bit skeptical of the RJ Barrett leap um, that he has gone on since this trade. Uh, but I do think it is a better situation for him. And I do think that he had to get the fuck out of New York um, to be. To, to to really like ever explore what he can be as a player, I think he needed to get out of New York. Get out of New York. He had to get away from. I don't want to say. I don't want to make it sound like it's a knock on them, but you know he he could never really explore the boundaries of his game as long as Brunson and Randall are here because they're really good. And when they're really good, your team is trying to be good. And Tom Thibodeau certainly wasn't going to be like, no, it's fine. Just fuck around for a little bit, see what happens. I understand it's for your long term development. Tibbs is like, no. You're going to do these three things and you got to do them well. Yeah. And then we'll go from there. Um, but I think it's pretty interesting because I know you, you wanted to talk a little bit about the, about the Bulls too, and we will. Um, but like, not that the Bulls necessarily made a trade, uh, but the Zach Levine injury uh, kind of created an opening in their lineup and usage yeah. to take yeah. up. And you saw upticks in play very specifically, most importantly, I think from Kobe White. Um, yeah, and sure. I think it kind of, you know, that, and then, you know, this trade and you see how quickly he's playing in Toronto. And, and, you know, we got glimpses of quickly last year when Brunson was out and it's like, OK, so he's like putting up starting point guard numbers like he might be a starting point guard. Um, and you see what R.J. Barrett is doing in Toronto. And I think there's something to be said of like and honestly, I mean, another parallel or another similar case is Tyrese Maxey in Philly, um, where you get rid of these high usage guys and just a kind of a reminder, like basketball is more complex than just like, Oh, this guy leaves. Now we have to replace 27, five and five or other averaging. So that means we have to go get somebody who does that. Like, no, sometimes that can come internally and giving guys scope to improve um, and leeway to kind of just expand their games can be the the kind of solution to your problems. But um, you know, I guess I'm just curious, like I'm not fucking dialed in on, on the bulls. I promise you that. Um, but yeah, but I mean, what have you seen from Kobe white, um, with Levine now? And are you worried at all now that Levine is back and they're back at like full strength really with Vooch back as well? Yeah. Um, yeah, not good questions. Um, so yeah. So what have I seen with Kobe white? Um, to be honest, I thought like. The shift probably actually happened a little bit with Levine in the lineup because I think, like, if you heard about Kobe White having, like, a a crazy, like, 25 game or something, maybe not 25, but 25 games or something of three or more threes in every game or something. And I think that started with when Levine was there. Um, But, yeah, definitely, like, I think Levine being out allowed him to kind of consolidate that initial, initial momentum and then, uh eventually build on that um and that's probably the key thing like i would say the first few so you know um there was that game where they played the bucks and they beat them in overtime without demar and without levine and then kobe kind of did handle the ball a lot that game although down the stretch of that game i feel like you could see that the ball handling stuff still wasn't super polished and super effective. So, like, they honestly scraped with scraped out with the win that game. Like, that was a David, crucial hit of three to send that to overtime, right? Yeah, Caruso hit a three to send to overtime with, like, you know, 
crazy fading shot that he's never hit. Um, and then, <laughs> like, Dame, Dame Lillard tried to, like, he played, he made, like, three turnovers trying to, like, like post Bobby Portis or something. Like, it was, it was, it was odd. Like, the Bucks were doing weird stuff. They weren't, like, taking it super, like, you know, we have to win this game type approach. And then, um, so they kind of fucked around a bit and then the Bulls stole one. Um, but, yeah, and then I think for a few games after that, the main thing was that um, Kobe was just getting up a bunch of threes and hitting a bunch of threes. And then to to an extent, like even just empowering that to happen, even though like everyone on the Bulls knows that Kobe can shoot, some, like empowering that I think is related to Levine's absence. Because like if Levine's there, he's going to be taking a bunch of threes as well. Like, And I think the main thing was, uh, especially in the first part of the season, when Levine was there, and he's, you know, doing his thing, scoring 25 a game or whatever. If the offense isn't working when he's scoring 25, DeMar's getting his buckets, you know, then someone like that playmaking responsibility that's generally reserved or generally given to the top two or three plays kind of trickles down to the rest of the roster. And that's what – and then that kind of, like, hurts guys like Patrick Williams, Kobe White. Like, he makes their roles more complex, right? And then they don't have that many touches in the first place. So I think that's something you want to avoid, like overcomplicating, you know, what your fourth and fifth options have to do, you know. Um, so, yeah, Levine being out, I think it's kind of gotten rid of that. Like it's kind of initially it just helped Kobe play more simple, uh, play more score first, that sort of stuff. There's also um, less pressure in, in a way because you like, I mean, I, I, I've seen, I saw this with the Knicks all the time where it's like you would see quickly yeah. coming to games and it's like if he misses his first three shots or something, yeah, he almost is sure. expecting like, oh, like, like there's pressure on you to make a couple of those shots because it's like, if he yeah. doesn't, then all of a sudden you're looking over your shoulder and you're like, oh shit, Tibbs is about yeah, to exactly, like, yeah, just br- put Brunson back yeah. in, and and that's yeah. a hard thing for young players, and like it's easy to just be like, well, you got to play with confidence, but you know, I mean, in, and this isn't just basketball and anything you do, like it's easy to just be like, well, I should just be confident, but like you know, like if I have to give a speech in front of like 500 people, I'm probably not just gonna be like. Oh, just be confident, dude. Like that's it. Like no, it's yeah, hard. Yeah. Um, and this is you know you're playing NBA basketball, obviously in front of tens of thousands of people. So, um, yeah, I think I think the Kobe thing is pretty interesting. And like you know, to your point, um, you know, is this like the ideal way of like and, and it, you know, is Kobe White going to be a top two guy in a championship team? I don't know. Yeah. But but I think like like and and this kind of ties into. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on with like I mean in general, but. Like one of the issues, and the Bulls have dealt with this, and I think they've dealt with it in a lot poorer way than the Knicks did. Um, and the Knicks, I think, have just done a better job of setting up the organization in a way that's functional. Yeah. But like, like when so they drafted Kobe White seventh overall, and yeah. oh. like you can kind of look at how they've managed his time there, right? So Levine is already there in the organization when he he comes in. I think yeah. within within by the end of his second year they like they did the vooch trade so you're like okay i don't know what they're going for here but cool like you knew what they were going for i didn't like it because i was just like i don't see how you're building to a contender after you give up what you gave up um and then they do that and then they immediately that summer then they get to rose in it and so like already at this point you're like okay so you drafted this guy seventh overall yeah and now you've got like three higher usage guys you know like and two of them are perimeter players and it's like so they didn't really bother to even find out 
what Kobe yeah, White sure. could be. And the Knicks yeah. did this with quickly. Like it didn't bite them as badly because one, I think quickly is a more adaptable player than Kobe. Uh, Kobe's actually really adaptable offensively. I want to be very clear. But I think defensively, yeah. what quickly gives you is just different and it's pretty unique for a guard. Um, and obviously, That's like fair. him, him and Brunson, they were like awesome together, or whatever. Um, so I think that made that a little bit different. I also think they kind of empowered him over from kind of the end of his second year through whenever he got traded to, um, like to be the the man on the second unit. And I think that at least helped him progress as, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm developing my ball skills and whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like the Bulls really didn't do anything with Kobe White until this year. And, and, it, and, it, and it happened because they, they had to. Yeah. Because for better or yeah. worse, like Levine and DeRozan have been super durable. Vooch is pretty durable. So it's like, it's not like they had, you know, 20 games absences where you kind of had to. Like, apart from, there's definitely some major differences. Like, I feel like quickly got, didn't he get drafted into the Leon Rose, like, era? Like, yeah, he's, he's the, in, he was in the first draft class. So him and Obi were the first yeah. draft. Right. So that alone oh, is. Kobe was a different, difference. Kobe was a different regime, right? Yeah. It was because that's the thing. Cause, um, you had, like 2019-20, that was Jim Boylan's team for the most of the year. I, I don't remember if he got fired. Was that the, was yeah, that the final Garpax year? Uh, shoot, I'm not totally... I think so. <laughs> I think so. Because uh, the, the Vooch the trade was definitely... <laughs> yeah, the Vooch yeah. trade was definitely uh, Karnasovas. Yeah, Karnasovas. Um, but, yeah, so like Kobe just, you know, he had that GM shift in the middle. And that's gonna that's one of the worst things you can have for a, a young player who's still developing, you know, having a new GM come in. Because often that new GM comes in and wants to shake things up and put their own imprint on the on the roster. You see it with you know every sport, you know. Um, um yeah, but yeah, so like that meant that the Bulls just changed their approach totally. Because before that, I think they were like they were rebuilding, they were rebuilding rebuild, rebuilding very poorly, I would say. Um which I don't think the Knicks, if they did enter a reboot, I think they look like they would handle it a lot better than, um, you know, Garpat were doing with Kobe, uh, Kobe, Zach, Lowry, and, and, and to, Wendell. And I mean, I mean, to be fair, like, look, Leon Rose, he inherited Randall. They didn't sign him. He was already under contract when they came in. And obviously, like, like anybody that's telling you otherwise is lying. They got fortunate that, Randall, I don't know what the fuck happened with him during COVID, but he like randomly came back and decided, oh, actually, I'm an all NBA player now. And he played at that level that year. Obviously, he took, takes a step back the year after, but then he's bounced back since. Um, but like when you inherit that, I think it like we talked about this, you know, we were messaging about this, but I think what's really hard, and you look at a team like Detroit, another team that you have some bizarre fixation with, um, but like, like, when you look at a team like Detroit, it's not that they don't have guys that are talents. Like they have guys that I'm pretty confident are going to be successful NBA players. And I'm not really worried about that with a lot of the guys in their team. Now, whatever your you know qualms might be over, you know, oh, Cade doesn't have enough burst, or Ivy's an idiot, or whatever it is. Like whatever your qualms are about oh. these players' individual issues, like like the biggest problem is they don't have somebody who you're comfortable with is like, okay, this guy is the tent pole. Like this is what is going to be the centerpiece of what we build everything yeah. out from. 
And a huge thing, like, you know, yeah, like you want to look at a team like Houston compared to Detroit. Yes. Okay. Yes. They got Fred Van Vliet, which helped, and they got Dylan Brooks, which helped. But really, the key for why everything looks more functional is one, you got, you got a coach that knows what the fuck is going on. And two, yeah. that coach came in, and I bet within three practices, he was like, okay, Shen Goon's awesome. And uh, we are going to do everything. Everything we build around offensively is building yeah. out from Shangun. Like the difference in their offense this year to last year. Yes, yeah. obviously a lot of that is just that Yudoka is a different coach. But Yudoka is a different coach because he he didn't come in and was like, oh, well, Jalen Green was the third pick and like whatever. He was just like, okay, Shangun's awesome. And yeah. that's just what we're going to do. And like that because you figured out who your centerpiece is and you can build out from there. Now the structure yeah. is a lot easier to build, and at least you have an idea of what you're put. You're asking of various players, and and what you need from various lineups and whatever, like in yeah. different roles. And I think that's one thing Tibbs, and I think he's always been good at this. Like I, this is why I really didn't have a problem with him hiring him because I think he gets a bad rap as like a a develop. I think he's a good development coach. I think he kind of sucks after like he might suck at being like, oh wow, quickly is really good. Maybe I should play more minutes. Yeah, he'll be like. Quickly six two. I can't do that. Um, but like, but like, he's a good development coach. And I think the first thing he probably did when he came in was like, okay, let's like let me get a look at these guys. Let's see what's going on. And he's like, okay, it's cool that RJ Barrett was drafted third overall, but like, Randall is the most talented, best player on this team. I'm building everything out off of Julius Randall. And if you kind of look yeah. at like how they've gone about then adding pieces and building out the roster, right, like. The first thing they always, they did was prioritize shooting, right? So they signed Burks, they they drafted quickly, like they added guys that had track records of at least solid to above average shooting or projected to be, right? In the case of quickly, but like they signed Burks, right? They signed uh, Austin Rivers. That didn't work out, but he was a good shooter, so it's like it made sense. And then you look, okay, uh, our point guard play sucked, so let's take a shot on Kemba. Sorry for your loss, James. Uh, we'll take a shot on Kemba, oh, and 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 you know like. And it, it doesn't work out, right? Bringing back like these these veterans, it didn't work out. Okay, let's go get Brunson. Okay, that was great. Oh, our backup center spot sucked. Let's sign Hartenstein. So it's like when you ha- once you have a structure and once you're building from there, then it becomes a lot easier to not just figure out what individual players can do, but then also like, okay, how do I mitigate yeah. their weaknesses? How do I accentuate their strengths? And I think I don't. I actually think Billy Donovan. I don't know if he's a great coach. I don't know if he's a terrible coach. But I think that, like, he gets kind of a shitty rap from Bulls fans from what I've seen, where I'm just like, dude, I yeah. don't really know what you want him to do with this roster. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They're, they're yeah. like, milking out ten, top 10 defensive ratings the last two years. God knows how. Um, and, like, <laughs> uh, and it's just, like, he he's doing a lot with what they have. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, they don't take yeah, enough threes. Sure. I'm like, well, yeah, they don't take enough threes because, like, like fucking DeRozan takes, he's, like, a 30-usage guy. He takes a shit ton of mid-range. So you're not going to be a high three-point you know a temperate team um but like i think within this to bring it back to kind of like kobe white and just the bulls yeah i kind of wonder well, you, if like if like this is I, I felt like i don't know i you maybe you have a you probably have a finger on the pulse better than me but when levine was out i almost felt like what i was watching when i would watch them i was like this feels uh, like, it's different it was definitely and different it, and it felt i was like this feels closer to like what Billy Donovan, Billy Donovan wants to do. probably yeah. wants to do. Whereas when yeah. he has Levine, and he's made he made some comments, right? About not like negative, but when Levine was coming back, he said something like, Yeah, we want him to like 
maker, like quick decisions and all this type. And yeah, exactly. Like, they, yeah. they played a game against Philly, I want to say two or three weeks ago. And down yeah. the, the fourth quarter of that game, the stretch of that game, it was a tight game. So these possessions are like pretty hotly contested. You're not going to be able to do this against every team, but they were, they, it was Kobe White, two feet in the paint, kick out, boom, boom, boom. They're moving the ball around, yeah. open shot. Sure, it was like, sure. it was crazy to watch, like how good they were playing off each other, creating advantages and then yeah. capitalizing on it. And like, I just feel like yeah. when I watch them, that feels a lot closer to what I think Billy Donovan probably wants to do. Yeah, I think, yeah, uh, there was so much uh, stuff touched on there. Like, um, yeah, we'll go back to the Bulls. Definitely, um, that's the thing. Like, I would say, I would say the start of the Kobe White leap. I guess it was still structured around DeRozan. Like, he was the guy who created most of the advantages. He definitely changed his approach because he can be kind of like score first. You know, I'm just I'm gonna not have my blinkers on because he's aware of what's going on, but he's like. I don't care if there's an open three available somewhere. I'm just going to take the most, you know, in the in isolation in a vacuum on this one position, the highest likelihood shot that's going to go in, which would be a demand pull up. Um, sometimes, and that that approach is kind of getting less effective too because he's getting older. He's losing the ability to turn the corners effectively. But yeah, so that's the main thing. And then, but then I think as you know, as the Levine absence grew longer, you saw Kobe just gradually start to, yeah, grow, grow his game because he'd be getting a lot of pick-and-roll touches as well. Just by the sheer fact that the roster has one of its best offensive players out, you know, and there's some guys to step up and take those. And it's not like Kobe, like, stepped up and, like, grabbed those and showed, you know, what are you doing? Why weren't you giving me these touches earlier? Like, there was definitely some growing pains. Um, there's definitely a lot of, you know, really bad pick-and-roll reps that I was, you know, complaining about. Um, but yeah, but now that, especially now that Levine's back, I think you can see that he's really actually figured out what he has to do in certain pick and roll situations. That he and this is development that he didn't have at the start of the season. So, um, but yeah, and then um, definitely agree with the the ball movement stuff. Like that's, I think that's been the fact that that happened as soon as Levine comes came out is why I think Levine should come off the bench now because. You can see that ball movement, like especially when they have it going, like that gets guys like Patrick Williams, Alex Caruso, just everyone up and down the roster playing more aggressively. And then part of the reason they struggled to implement that kind of ball movement, quick decision system before was because a lot of these guys lack confidence. Like Alex Caruso would only shoot like the wide open feet set corner threes. Um, and he would pass up a lot of shots. He changed that at the start of this year before. Any Levine injuries, so credit to him. That's why I think Loki he's a good candidate for most improved player. But you know, that happened for Russo. But Patrick Williams, especially without Levine, you could just see like he's if you go by the numbers, he's always been a good shooter, and you probably ask, you know, why um he doesn't get more up. Um and then part of that's probably the Bulls context and you know, some uh nitty-gritty shooting mechanic stuff. But yeah, with the with Levine out and then just like trusting every single player on the court and spraying the ball around more, he's become more aggressive and then I think the main thing with him, with Levine coming out, is maintaining that aggression because um, that's that's always been his problem, I feel. But, yeah, I want to go back to, like, you, you touched on, like, Tibbs and, like, development, right? Um, mm. And I feel like Tibbs, he's a good development coach because he just kind of understands, like, basketball, how basketball works, really, and, like, basketball structure and stuff like that. And, like, that he, whole he's idea. A boomer. Of, he's a boomer, but, like, he, yeah. he does kind of, like, there's value to some of that stuff for sure. Yeah, like he, because like he is the classic. Like I, I went through it with Steve Clifford as well, because that was my yeah, first time yeah, I yeah. wanted. 
<laughs> Steve Clifford, you know, we need less than what 14 turnovers a game and we need uh you know we need to get the defensive rebounds and we need a proper point guard you know all well, that the, stuff, the, Clifford, stuff. the Clifford stuff in Charlotte was crazy because they were like weren't they consistently one of the best defensive rebounding teams and they're and it like made no yeah, sense yeah. Like, how the fuck is this team good at defensive <laughs> rebounding <laughs> yeah no nah, it's mkj slant i won't take but um he's, oh my guy my guy he was his he was dennis rodman and yeah and he, he's a, the former he, nick you know so he was he was like he was like drafted seven years too early if he came to the league yeah, now yeah a coach would be yeah. like you're you're a fucking five yeah like you're gonna yeah, play the five four or five you're like <laughs> yeah. A, yeah exactly you're like a dream on that young yeah. type you know yeah. but uh yeah but but yeah like that sort of stuff helps you play like yeah that's better than just giving the reins to a bunch of guys who've only played AU high school ball up until this point and watching them cook because then yeah the offense turns into my turn your turn just crap honestly that's what Houston was for the last couple years they're they're the worst team in the league for the last couple years yeah exactly just Kevin Porter Jr and Jalen Green two growing young guys who haven't figured anything out yet just you know, taking turns, shooting step back threes and stuff. It was terrible, um, and yeah. So I think I would say Fred Van Fleet. Like I reckon that having that point guard who knows how to set the table is super integral to anything that goes on in. Yeah, I, I think it's super integral for these teams that are trying to like establish those that structure and that good develop development um, context. I think once you get to like you know Boston, you can think about oh we're going to play through Tatum instead of having that traditional table setup. But I think you know Fred Van Fleet's been key for um, providing that structure, you know, getting guys into their clear roles, and also like optimizing Shengun because the thing is Shengun was on the roster these last two years, and it's not like the coaches didn't try to use him. It's just that without Fred Van Fleet to set him up in the pick and roll, they're just thinking like okay, if we want to get Shengun in touch, we have to post him up, and then when anyone posts up. Like especially catching from 15 feet out like it's not consistent offense these days with you know them letting you know defenders like you know do what they do in the post uh, plus there's so much that uh, help, the help schemes now in the nba are just so hard yeah for sure so uh yeah i just think yeah like that sort of structure is super important as well and i think that's somewhere where maybe detroit for example is kind of yeah they don't like they don't have the guy I guess, although you could probably say Cade, if used properly, could be that. Uh, but then I also think, yeah, like they're lacking, like, yeah, they're lacking just a lot of those basic principles um, that a boomer coach would would bring. So basically, I'm saying, you know, bring Dwayne Casey back. You know, they they thought the grass was greener. They were, they were slandering my guy, and then yeah, now they're they're saying it's not. Yeah, I mean, like the, it's 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 like a complicated thing because. You know, to talk about the Knicks a little bit, like when you see Quick and you see RJ playing as well as they are right now for Toronto, it lends credence to the idea of like, oh, Tibbs held them back or whatever. I just feel like that's just not the right way to look at it. Like teams are like, and I, I am first. I, I would say this: I definitely don't think that's fair to say about RJ because RJ got he started basically every game for Tibbs. He got a ton of usage, like. His role grew. Yeah, maybe it's like sure. Ideally, we would have played faster and whatever. But like, yeah, at a certain level, like I can't. I can never get to the point of like, 
putting anything related to RJ on tips. I'll be completely honest. I just don't, I don't, I don't agree with it. I don't see it. Um, and I do think RJ improved under Tibbs, even if he never got to where you were hoping he would get to. And maybe, you know, maybe he'll do it in Toronto, in which case I'd be happy for him. But like, and the quickly thing was just complicated. He clearly never saw quickly as a starting caliber point guard for whatever reason. And that was that, which is a missive evaluation on his part. And it's something that the Knicks front office allowed to happen. So we'll see. Well, where quickly- I mean, so like, Obviously, quickly and Brunson had that chemistry, and then I think quickly is just yeah, he's just a really dick player. Like I think he just you just insert him and he gives you like energy pace. He just knows how know? to play off of anybody. There's no yeah, player I've ever yeah. watched that I'm like he can't play next to this guy. Like I'm like no, yeah. he'll figure it out. Like it'll be fine. Um, and yeah, I just he, think yeah, it's just it's just like it's really frustrating that we didn't explore more that more, and that's something that the front office has to own. If you know quickly goes on and he becomes some like star level player, they're gonna be like, look, as good as yeah. OG is, that'll hurt. Because not not necessarily because you traded him. Teams trade stars. That happens all the time. It hurts because you didn't actually figure out if he was one or not. You just kind of let it play out the way right. it did. Um, so you're not maximizing the asset either on the on the back end of the deal. So yeah. that's probably um, I would say that's probably like a like the double edged sword part of like Tibbs's like yeah. you know Bruma basketball structure. Because like I see what he's doing with like he's got his two stars and they're not like you know I love Brunson like he makes I think pretty much he sacks the most good decisions across 48 minutes of basketball. Like in terms of, yeah, if that was a stat, like stacking good decisions made across 48 minutes of basketball, I think he would be way up there in, in the league. Um, but he's just not like, he's not like Luka Doncic. I'm going to spoon feed guys, corner threes type guy, uh, especially without like, you know, a perfect rim runner or something who plays off him perfectly. So, you know, those two, the two stars and they don't like, by themselves, juice super, you know, fluid, beautiful motion offense. Um, so I like you, you see what he's doing with like, you know, I prefer Grimes, you know, defender, like who I can trust to guard pretty much anyone one with three. Yeah, and I and I think like I'll give him this, um, which you know, it's not it's rare that I, I will go out of my way to praise Tom Thibodeau. But um I think like one of the things that I've I've thought about a lot, and just because you see it. Cause you're like, holy shit. Like OG is like this, like he's like fucking Charizard, bro. Like he like completely, like he's fully evolved. <laughs> um, but like you, like I, I can watch the starting lineup now with DiVincenzo, Brunson, OG, Randall, Hartenstein, and forgetting the offensive part of it, they've been great in offense, but defensively you can see how like basically having OG out there one, now DiVincenzo doesn't have to guard point of attack stuff, which is his biggest weakness. He's a good off-ball defender. So now he's slotted yeah. in. He's a, he's a plus now. Yeah. Randall has been way better on defense since we got OG. I don't know why. I don't know. I, I think some of it is just like when we play a team that has a big wing, Randall doesn't have to do it. Like Because when, when it was RJ instead of OG, he didn't trust RJ to do it. And I get why. Yeah, so, sure. so like that got put on Randall on top of, hey, by the way, you're still going to have to take like 20 shots tonight and create all this offense for us too it's, it's just a big burden it's not it's very hard and so like you're getting a benefit from that Hartenstein's always been good on defense so that's like he's just more protected now so you're getting and you're like amplifying his impact and then on top of it the big thing and I think this is where he just could not wrap his brain around Brunson and quickly together is yeah. even though those lineups kicked ass his concern was clearly always that like quickly's a good defender when I have him do 
like he's a great defender when yeah. his role is the off ball stuff. When he's yeah, just sure. rotating, like all that stuff, he's fucking awesome at that. But when I play him with Brunson, I need him to be the point of attack defender because that's just how it because I can't have Brunson do it because he can't do it. Yeah. And so like his I think his concern is hang up was always that defensive portion of it. Yeah, for sure. And, for sure. and I think what has helped this now is like well, like OG, he obviously can trust it. And then you're getting the offensive value of like the spacing is better. OG's a way better off ball mover than RJ is, yeah. and he's a quicker decision maker, which like for a team that struggled yeah. with ball movement, pace, all that stuff, like that's a huge boon. And DiVincenzo, this is a reason I liked the DiVincenzo signing a lot when they did when they made it, was if you look back at his career, you know, he played in Milwaukee, he played in Sacramento briefly, and then he played with Golden State. These are three teams, if you look at what, like, high-paced teams, extremely high-paced yeah. teams. And I was like, okay, that's good. So he's got experience. Like, th- we need to get guys that are comfortable playing faster. And if I remember correctly, the, the Raptors have been playing, like, insane weirdo nurse ball um, prior to the season, but they've been playing fast. And, like, OG, under, like, he is used to that to some degree. And so I think, like, when you bring in guys like that and then you take out, like, RJ, who clearly – you know, when he had the ball, he was trying to make shit happen. And it's not about like, and, and OG, you know, like OG and Demon Tens are still trying to make shit happen, but they're not wired to be like, oh, I got to score. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to be a 22 point for exactly, score. exactly. No, this is like, this is a crap I have in basketball now. Like, we call everyone like in, in the draft space, like anyone who could dribble and like shoot a quarter three and like hit an open kick out pass was called like a connector, right? Yeah. That's just like, it's just like missing out so much of the yeah so much of the the actual game i guess because then yeah you have guys like rj barrett or you have a guy like patrick williams who you know probably coming up you know playing high school ball like they need to score for them to win and like you know people always say that oh like you know if you're in the nba you're the best player in your high school team but there's still different like high school contexts you know like also a is different too yeah for sure but um you know kate at montverde he had they played with like four other future NBA players or something like <laughs> something ridiculous like that. Precious, Moody, Caleb Houston, probably missing out to someone. But yeah, um, so yeah, like those guys, when they're trying to help their team win, they're, they're, they're wired to score, like to help their team by scoring. And like that's no knock on them. But like if you're, you know, that means that they, that's going to impact their decision making, you know, in those type of connector positions, you know, where you think, oh, the ideal play would be attack a closeout and hit a kickout pass or something, keep the offense flowing. Um, but they're they're like they're thinking, especially in a high stress situation, where you know the teams, you know, the other teams gone on a gone on a run, we need a bucket. They probably they've got that confidence in themselves because they've done it for their like fifteen years of their lives. So yeah, that's that's the one area we got to you know pay more attention to move forward i guess you know that's what that's because you know the that's such a common like trait as well like you see it in stars all the time like tatums and donovan mitchells and stuff like that like they're they can pass they've shown they can you know run an offense by you know being making good decisions in terms of passing but ultimately they still default to like scoring you know when the pressure's on i feel like that like the fact that great players like them and even like don at times can be you know if he's not passing to for an corner three i think his you know overall passing is a bit
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.